Well, good evening. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we learn more about you as we look closer at your word this evening. Amen. A priest, a Baptist minister, and a rabbi are having coffee. And in that way men do, they come up with a challenge to prove which of them is best at their job. So, a week later, they all arrive at the National Park and head off in different directions into the wood to convert a bay. Don't ask us why a bay. Afterwards, they meet up to see who gets to brag the best. The priest begins, when I found a bay, my bay, I read to him from the catechism, sprinkled holy water over him, and next week is his first communion. I found a bay by the stream, said the Baptist minister. And so I preached God's holy word to him and then baptized him there and then. Then they turned to the rabbi, who's in a wheelchair with two broken legs and his entire body is covered in bruises and scratches. On reflection, he says, maybe I shouldn't have started with circumcision. <laughs> Only because it says circumcision in the reading tonight. <laughs> and I'm not good with them with, um, with jokes, but... <laughs> Some of the words we use in our Bible make us feel a bit woolly in our understanding. Or maybe that's just myself. But the concept of a covenant being one of them I think today, we would say the closest equivalent is a wedding covenant. So it's just trying to think of it that way. It works by setting out the rights as well as the responsibilities for both sides. So let's look at this evening's chapter. The previous chapter, as Ian mentioned, says Abraham and his wife, sorry, become impatient and decide to take a shortcut and made a mess of things. They tried to help God. The wouldn't wait, the promise of having a child, they felt the time was running out. So of course, Sari gave her maidservant, Hagar, to Abram to bear a child on her behalf while and Ishmael was born when Abraham, sorry, Abraham, I have to keep saying that, was 86 years old. That's quite old. Who would like to start having a young family at that age? But 13 years passed before we get to this evening's event. It seems that by this time, Abraham believed that Ishmael and his descendants would be the ones to inherit the promised land, not a son to his wife, Sari. Abraham was now at the ripe old age of 99 when God appeared to set matters straight. I am God Almighty. 
Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. It might not be clear to us in our English translation, but we have just been introduced to another name for God, El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And why is that important? Because God was about to do something inconceivable. He was about to implement the plan he had devised when he first called Abraham a plan to give the aged couple a child. In Romans 4.19, the Apostle Paul says, Abraham's body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. God Almighty, who had made whole galaxies simply by speaking them into existence, would have no problem giving Abraham and Sari a child. People who do not know God find lots of our Bible inconceivable, even laughable, because they believe it could not have happened the way it says. But we know different. Our reading quickly moves onto the terms of this covenant, this contract, and we are left under no illusion that this is God's covenant as nine times he refers to my covenant. A God covenant has three breaches. First, they are unilaterally, I find that hard to say, that is one-sided. It comes from God alone, not God and man getting together to decide what conditions their relationship will be. Secondly, the covenants are eternal. God does not change. The terms of the covenant are from him and maintained by him. Therefore, the covenant does not change. And thirdly, the covenants of God are gracious. If the promises of God depended on anything to be found in human beings, they would never have been established, for we deserve nothing. It is solely to God's good favour. In short, God promised to make Abraham the father of a great people, and in return, God required Abraham and his descendants to obey God. Then God would guide them and protect them and give them the land of Israel, and circumcision was a sign that Abraham and his people accepted the covenant. It was Abraham's sealing the, the deal. Sorry. It was Abraham's sealing the deal, circumcision. Those were long passages, but actually, the dominant voice was God's. So how did Abraham respond to God's word? He fell on his face, completely prostrate before God. It was in an act of complete submission and subservience. And God said to him, as for me 
This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. The name change is very significant. Abraham exalted father, so we're told, and Abraham is the father of multitude. So whenever anyone called his name, he would be reminded of God's promise to him. More importantly, adding ha is significant because in Hebrew, the words for breath and spirit God was really adding his own mighty breath and spirit to Abraham. What God was saying, in effect, Abraham, I will tell you how I am going to make you the father of a multitude. You are going to do it through my power. By changing your name to Abraham, I want you to know that I am joining my name to yours. And I am also going to give you my spirit. You will be able to be exceedingly fruitful because of me and my spirit empowering you. So, what's, so that's what God is going to do. Now, for Abraham. Says, As for you... You must keep my covenant, you and your descendants, for generations to come. God goes to great lengths to clarify how this covenant contract is to be sealed, thus ensuring there is no misunderstanding as to what's required. To reject circumcision was to reject God's gracious promises and say that you didn't want to be part of his family. Now, the blessing of God's covenant with Abraham spilled over into blessing Sarah, who received a parallel blessing to her husband. Her name was changed to Sarah by God, who added his spirit to her name as well. Then God also promised the barren old woman another blessing. I will bless her and will, will surely give her a son. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham laughed. He laughed with joy over what God had promised Laughter of faith, delighting in what God would do in spirit. Because in spite of the ravages of time to his body, God would overrule that. We see even Ishmael, who was not God's promised son, he too would be fruitful. Because in verse 20, he will be a father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. Of course, the Arab people descended from Ishmael. But God ends this conversation, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, 
Sarah's son. Don't know if you know, but Isaac means laughter. I think God has a good sense of humor. Going through those conditions, we see both sides, what God's going to give and what he wants back of his people. Abraham had to seal the deal now. This 99-year-old man had himself and every male in the household circumcised that very day. I love Abraham's immediate and complete obedience. I mean, was it really a good idea to have every male undergo that minor surgical procedure on the same day? Who would watch the sheep while they were recovering? Who would protect the camp from raiders? But Abraham didn't worry about any of that because he knew he was traveling his journey of faith with a name he could trust, El Shaddai, God Almighty, who would certainly protect them. How does our response of faith compare to Abraham's? Are we as quick and complete to obey as he was? Are we in for the long term? Remember all those years Abraham and Sarah kept their faith? Will we hold fast when ridiculed for believing in God's promises? When the world hurdles harsh words and plants doubts, is that real? Could it ever really happen? Was it exactly like that? Will we stay true to Christ in the long periods of silence and waiting? Because between each section with Abraham and Sarah, there was gaps and God seemed quiet. These are big questions. So how is it for us? The old covenant sign of circumcision corresponds with the new covenant sign of baptism. Baptism is the sign of identification with God, of initiating into the membership in the covenant community, which symbolizes three things. Dying to the past and to self, rising in newness of life in Christ, an identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in baptism that Christ's name is given to us, just as God's name was given to Abraham. And we say to the whole world that we are now to be known as Christians. The next passage We'll move on and say, Abraham, welcome three unexpected visitors. Here, we see the picture of the heart that is holy Christ's. In verse one, we clearly, he clearly tells us, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. 
Because there are three men here, some have taken this to be the representation of the Trinity, question mark. Is this one of those mysterious appearances of Christ before he came to take upon himself the human life, accompanied by two angels in human disguise? All Abraham sees is three travelers, weary and thirsty. He greets them, my Lord, as a simple courtesy, because it's a little ale. He doesn't know who he's speaking to. Yet here is God in such a common place. If I tell you that I'm going to test you to see if you exhibit love under pressure, whether you can keep your temper when you are being irritated, and if you can be sweet when things are going wrong, you are likely to pass with flying colors because you're prepared. God never tests that way. It is when we are confronted with some simple situation that no one will know about that the tests of life really come. When you are busy around the house with your hands immersed in dishwater and something is burning on the cooker, you've got 16 different things going round in your head and your child comes up and asks you a question, which is obviously of little importance. What do you do? When your neighbor or friend gets sick and someone has to take care of the children, what do you do? What is your reaction? These are the tests of God. We need to ask ourselves, are we ready to respond to the need of, human, of the human heart right there in front of us? Is that what God is doing to Abraham? Testing? When he appears without warning in the heat of the day, and what do we see? we see how beautifully Abraham meets his test. He brings out the best he can offer. Abraham and Sarah personally see to the needs of these visitors, even though they have many servants. Soon a wonderful meal was ready, which the guests were served. As they ate, Abraham stood near them. We listen to Revelations 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. When Christ comes in to us, he doesn't come in merely to bless us. He comes in to fulfill his long-standing desire to be what he came into the world to be, a saviour, to seek and to save that which is lost, to give and show compassion to others, to minister to human needs, whatever they may be through us. Matthew 25, you'll recognise this one. Verses 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And in verse 40, it says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Abraham really has a circumcised heart, a Christ-like heart. He is not doing this because he wants to gain something for himself. He is not trying to impress anybody. For all he knows, these three men are nothing but poverty-stricken, penniless nomads of the desert. But he shows a Christ-like heart when he meets them. Our focus changes as we see Sarah in doubt. As the conversation starts, Abraham begins to realize who this is. When the question, where is Sarah, is followed with the repeated promise of a son. He is sure of the identity of his guest. Yet, Sarah hears all of this from behind the tent curtain. She looks at her 90-year-old body, long since almost dead. She looks in the mirror and sees the white hair, the wrinkles on her face. She feels the arthritis in her bones. And when she hears this, that she'll have a child, she laughs cynically to herself. The Lord reads her thoughts. How scary is that? He doesn't have to hear us. He doesn't have to be right next to us. But he knows. And her gut reaction is to deny. I could imagine after the guests left, Sarah was still thinking about what she had heard. And the words of the Lord came home to her heart as she felt the full force of the question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. For he has promised, then it shall be done. Hebrews 11, 11 says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful who had made the promise, because she trust trusted God. She trusted his promises, his word. This is a lesson in the nature of faith. Faith looks beyond the contrary circumstances to rest upon the character of the one who promised. We must not be misled by the pop popular delusion that faith stands by itself. That is simply believing anything. Faith must have a promise to rest upon. Anything else is presumption, gullibility, folly. 
But when God has given a word, it is the word of God, and it can be trusted despite circumstances, feelings, or anything else. If we look to our New Testament, there's two little words, but God. When humans have been brought to the utter end, despaired, mocked, we see, but God. And the whole situation changes to victory. Believe God's word, even if others laugh, because his blessing will never end. Then, like Sarah, we may ask ourselves this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. He is able to perform all that he says, and he will. We only need to remind ourselves we belong to Christ. As we walk in the present, knowing that the future rests in the hands of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to be your Isaac, that laughter, that presence, as we give ourselves to the work of your kingdom. May we be a blessing to others, bring laughter and joy, and introduce people to you, Jesus, in such a dark world. Keep all our hearts forever Christ-centered. Amen.